many of us who practice psychology in the United States are not aware of the profound and deep Eurocentric ideals embedded in Western psychology. When we talk about unlearning and decolonizing existing frameworks of psychology, what does that mean? And how do we continue to challenge ourselves and ask questions about our own assumptions regarding the work that we do? Welcome to People of Color in Psychology, the show that explores mental health topics specific to culture, diversity, and communities of color. I am your host, Jack Tsen. For our AAPI series today, our guest is Dr. Nita Ramkumar, a global psychologist licensed in Texas. Dr. Nita identifies as Guyanese Indian American. She is the founder of Psychology Across Borders and has a thriving international private practice and recently presented her TED Talk, Why Psychologists Should Be Everywhere. Prior to her most recent works, Dr. Nita taught at the University of the South Pacific completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the Department of Veteran Affairs specializing in trauma treatment, and completed her APA Counseling Psychology doctoral program at Texas A&M in 2012. Now, as an advocate of global mental health, Dr. Nita is leading a worldwide network of mental health professionals to connect people with culturally appropriate services and psychological skill sets at a grassroots level. Dr. Nita, Thank you for speaking with me today. It's great to be here. So Dr. Nita, you're doing international psychology. That is something that most of us have no idea what that's about. Can you tell us your journey and getting into this work? Because I remember having a multicultural counseling class and I don't recall there ever mentioning anything about international psychology. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem in a way because that's the whole rest of the world. And what probably led me into it is I had a very international upbringing. In addition to being cross-cultural with my parents being immigrants from Guyana to New York and me growing up across multiple states in the U.S., we lived overseas in Singapore and Malaysia for a number of years because of my dad's work. And this was a period of time where I didn't really have the words to know what was happening. I think they're better about this today. This is one of the things that they didn't really have the words for at the time that I was growing up, but I think they do a much better job these days of kids knowing that they're third cultural kids as they go through all this explanation about belonging and identity and where am I from? That's a really scary question in a way for those of us that feel quite rootless. And for these formative years, it was amazing to be overseas. But here I was telling everyone I was American when I wasn't white and I didn't look like what American's supposed to look like. And I could hardly remember what it was like living in the United States. So when we finally did go back, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to spend a number of my years in Texas, including university, undergrad and grad school. However, I think this international piece of me feeling like a little bit of a misfit stayed with me. And so I always had dreams of working overseas as a psychologist uh, internationally. And I think that is going to become more of a norm and 
remote work gets more popular as people are able to travel more but at this time it seemed like a very far off dream to be able to do this so as soon as i finished my formal education in the u.s became licensed in the u.s i took my first position overseas uh, teaching at the university of the south pacific in fiji and that is when my international professional career really began I like to say that this is where I began my education in unlearning <laughs> many of the things that I had learned over the past decade from our field. So this has been brought up before, the idea of unlearning psychology or decolonizing psychology. Can you tell me what that means for you? Yeah, and I think it's something that all of us really can benefit from doing this working internationally in, in some capacity in order to just know ourselves. That's oftentimes what happens. And what I realized is this: we're really oblivious to the ethnocentric biases of Western psychology when that is our only definition of what the profession is and what does it look like and who is supposed to be a part of it. When we talk about best practices, when our field really forces us or pushes us, encourages us uh, to specialize, that may not be what is needed in other contexts where psychology is just developing or growing. And it's not to say that because these other cultures or communities don't have as developed as a psychology industry means that they don't have healing practices for mental health. And so when we are taught to do what is evidence-based or according to our ethics code, we have to realize that these are all indigenous to North American, white American, or European cultural practices. And so what may be unethical in one society may be ethical in another. Just for an example, that this idea of confidentiality, right? that mental health is so stigmatized in the US that we have to protect the privacy of our clients. When in fact, some of these communities, you have to work with the village elders and build trust and be part of the community and not be part of a double blind in order to gain trust. And I just started engaging in this process of questioning learning about other perspectives and really understanding what my training had situated me and prepared me to do. And it was not necessarily preparing me to work in a global context. Yeah. And when you're put in this global context, you're put directly in face with the position that you've had about psychology and you're noticing that you're drawing from that and somehow imprinting it on this environment, which makes no sense. There's a discord of, wait, why am I doing this? It doesn't fit. So you mentioned confidentiality. Are there other examples that you have in terms of evidence-based practices or just the idea of practicing psychology, how maybe you have had to adapt or change things so that it fits for the community you serve? Yeah, I think it's important that you brought up the idea of diagnosis, for example, because a lot of times the themes that come up are identity and belonging related or environmental stressors. So there's 
this dissonance in me sometimes of really having to diagnose the problem as being within the individual and even pathologizing it when they're actually trying to integrate really being stretched between two worlds and these different identities. And my theory is that a lot of this is happening because as our world globalizes and you know, it's globalizing in different ways with different waves of immigration and diasporas. But now, you know, it's happening even in, you know, from village to urban centers. And so I think we have more and more people questioning, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Where is home for me? And they're, they're grappling with this disconnection, even if we're more and more connected electronically these days. Yeah, that totally makes sense because if you're connected with the group, most of your common challenges are probably going to be more identity related issues as opposed to, oh, I at the individual level am struggling with depression. Well, maybe I struggle more so with the lack of belonging and not having the terminology to, again, you know, from Western perspective, depression as opposed to, no, this is. Yeah, yeah. or the environment, right? I, I mean, mm -hmm. and then what are we doing if we're just adjusting people to a, a toxic environment, right? So in some of these circumstances, um, you know, the issues are economic, the issues are oppression. There's a lot of privilege that we have as Americans and even, and I think this is something I had to grapple with as well as when becoming an expat and living overseas, even if I may be a minority in this country, I then become part of the dominating culture the privileged group and I can become part of the colonial machine and I can be imposing these standards and my my ethnocentric biases these other communities that I may not have a lot of knowledge of their context or the culture or how do they function because I also have this European now Western mentality within me having been raised in it as well yeah, to be able to question that and acknowledge these, these trainings that we were embedded in. And thinking about these experiences that you've had, what might be a message that you would really like our listeners to know about? Well, one of the things I really inspired me to come on this podcast was to encourage people to collaborate internationally and specifically our BIPOC mental health professionals. I think we may be among some of the best positioned to do what I call bridging work and and that we may have a foot in both worlds, right? We, we do have made a foot in our Western training and, and resources. And we also have a foot in knowing what it's like to be part of a, another cultural group or to have maybe a different way of thinking and processing. And I think this is actually probably the best space for us to do our own work and growth in this area is to now take those lessons that we've learned from the American context and how do we be mindful of that as we move through other groups that may be positioned in different ways. And I think the economic factor is a big one. Uh, history is also a big one. I think especially psychologists psychology majors don't get a lot of courses in historical context. 
we spend a lot of time focused on the sciences, um, quantitative, perhaps anthropology tends to be a little bit of a closer discipline that looks at culture, I, but I think we're missing this. I, mm -hmm. I think we, that there's a richness uh, to understanding um, who we are in terms of our historical context, how we came to be, and also understanding the geopolitics that are shaping our world today and what it's becoming. So listening to the international news and I mean, one thing that was very surprising for me living in Fiji was learning about how much damage the U.S. government has done in the Pacific region. It's also experiencing climate change from resident of an island nation when they're some of the lowest contributors to the problems with climate change. And also seeing these aid organizations and the funding that's coming through from different world powers, whether it's China, United States, Australia, and this particular region, and all demanding that certain criteria based on those countries' standards are met in order to fund this program or project. And so realizing, you know, we have access to a lot of resources and then for other people to access them, they need to assimilate, essentially. And seeing how this is um, maybe colonization has formally ended, but colonialism, modern colonialism uh, maintains and that our countries are part of this, which is you know, why we may actually have positions in these different regions. And so it's, once again, I have more probably questions and just an openness and awareness to the, the potential problems that could happen but if somebody is going to be doing collaborative work, I'd want them to be people that are somewhat sensitized to what it's like to be on the other side. Yeah, and to do this collaborative work really does require us to be self-aware and willing to continue to go through a self-observation process. And as you were saying, unlearn our assumptions about the field of psychology. So you mentioned, you know, part of being on the podcast is to shine a light regarding the importance of collaboration with other psychologists internationally. What recommendations do you have for psychologists who want to do this type of work or who want to collaborate? Yeah, so the biggest thing, and then I'm still working on this, is really figuring out how to be of service. And that may oftentimes mean really encouraging these other communities or organizations that may be inviting you in. They may want a speaker and they want to be informed about what is the latest information about this topic. However, coming in with really, what are some of the problems on the ground that you're dealing with? What of my knowledge can be useful? And leaving space for the reality, which is, I don't know. Maybe they know best. And well, they do with, and, and they are the cultural experts, even if we may have expertise in a particular topic within psychology, we still, in many of these countries, we still don't know how this would play out in different contexts. I mean, one thing that comes to mind is, is suicide and just our demographic for suicide in the United States and risk factors looks very different in other cultural contexts. 
So when I was working at the VA, you know, we know it's older white males with access to weapons. In the Pacific, it's young people, it's youth that they have one of the highest rates of youth suicide in the world. So our assumptions about these certain psychological issues may look very different and the solutions may look very different as well in terms of the services that might be available, how to involve the families. And like I'm saying, we may not know what does that look like. So really privileging and really providing space and facilitating the organization to come forward with potential solutions and allowing them to try and see what works and see what doesn't work. It's a lot of this, there is no evidence-based for these contexts. So for us to come in and say, oh, this is the evidence-based way that we handle things in the United States is quite naive. We can offer it and say, this is what we do, but to say that it's a gold standard is quite arrogant. That is such a great example. It shines a light of interventions, prevention methods in one area might not work for another region. So this is a question that I ask all my guest speakers. In your career as a woman of color, what were some challenges that you faced and overcame that you would be willing to share? So the one that comes to mind that's standing out to me right now was related to an international collaboration project. And I was approached by a senior psychologist in the field of international psychology to do a project that I was very, very excited for because I really needed this, this mentorship, somebody who had more experience in this area. And I was very excited to get involved in a project that really engaged my interest in international psychology and also the diaspora community that I was part of. And so this was a, a real passion project in a way of me combining this my lived experience and my culture and finally being able to make something out of it. And what happened, there was probably a, a couple of things I didn't think of as necessarily red flags, but towards the end, it got very colonial. As in, I was making suggestions and there was an incident where I believe the individual, this is an older white male, incorporated something into the work that was micro-invalidation, a form of a microaggression. And so I spent a lot of time reflecting on this. I crafted a beautiful email. I asked you know, my community to take a look at it to make sure that I was providing feedback in an honest and gentle way and professional way. And expected that this would be an opportunity for me to really grow in this field, in this decolonial space and work with a colleague who really cared about these issues and was supportive of me. And I was really surprised when we did get on the phone and what felt like was a prepared attack. And so this person that I thought was an ally, I realized was in fact a false ally. And after more conversations, really recovering from that conversation, I realized that there's a lot of people in this space who are here performatively because it's a hot topic. Decolonization, indigenous psychology, global psychology, international psychology is the new thing. But these people who have more credentials than us early career people may have, may also have less experience in this area. Like we are the less privileged voices 
And when I look back, what I advise my students when I'm working overseas, I didn't follow these rules myself in a way. I didn't really ask the person, let's talk about positionality. Let's talk about the rules of the game, the roles, how we'll respect each other. And I suppose I assumed, okay, my education, my status, I assumed that these things were protective, but they weren't. And since then, I have seen this play out over and over and over again in psychology, in different industries and organizations, and in other fields. And one of the things that I'm learning is that you need to have a community to do this work. Because otherwise, it would have been very hard for me to rebound from this and and not be questioning myself and realizing, you know, I did do things the right way. This person doubled down when they got called out, even if it was in a very nice way. They didn't take the opportunity to correct. And, you know, I, I think there, there was a huge issue with, you know, acknowledgement of work and uh, feeling exploited and extracted for the contacts and the connections that I had. And it was a lesson in a way to me to not necessarily be aware of everyone because even in, in that, in my group of true allies, were white individuals. I mean, that was another thing that they could also support me and what had happened in the dynamic. I think it was being blindsided and having that trust mm-hmm. that taught me to have one, some caution and two, just community so that you know what happens if you get stabbed or if you, as has happened to some friends where they've gotten kicked off of committees and things like that for calling these things out as, okay, this is performative, but we want to make real change. Here's what we need to do. So I'm aware that these spaces are not necessarily safe for everyone and um, not even for me, which is funny to say, because I think it was me going through this whole cycle in, in Fiji where I was really conscious of my own ability to take up space and my own power and privilege. And then it was a reminder when working with white American psychologists that, oh yeah, multi-minority status, age, gender, race. Mm. Sorry you went through that. And it's very unfortunate because how do you understand a group? How do you get into this work while also recognizing the importance that, well, this is new territory. It's not, it's great to get support, supervision, and when we seek that support and supervision and that actually doesn't work out. In fact, it's, and not just that, your work is being used. And so people who are studying indigenous communities or just communities of color, even in the United States, are we just extracting the information? At what cost? So this brings up an important point. Thanks for sharing this with us. And is there any other final thoughts you have for our podcast and for our listeners? So this, I don't know if it's a final thought. It might even be a new thought. Okay. Um, I think it's important that we travel as psychologists, as mental health professionals. And I think that's hard to do with having clients and our busy schedules. And it's not easy in the U.S. with two-week vacation but it's helpful to really get out of, to be able to see the lens, to be able to see what our worldview is. And I think that is powerful in and of itself. 
I also think I'd like to see more, and I think the world needs to see more BIPOC travelers. And in a way to really be ambassadors of the diversity of the United States. And I think in that, a word of caution is that, um, and I don't have an easy answer for this either. You know, there's also this, this world of us digital nomads and remote workers and our ability to really change economies, gentrify really on a global level. And so there's not really an easy answer for how can we travel now ethically without disrupting the communities that we're moving through. But I say that's exactly the work. And to be doing this on a personal level before we do it on a professional one, I think is important. So maybe get out, go to some place. Get out of our that, bubble. Uh, it's, yeah, pop, pops the bubble. And, and I think it was re-inspiring us uh, to really think about, especially as, as um, I like to call us nerds, you know, psychology nerds, and just get into like this world of how is the mind, you know, created and formed, how many different ways there are of living and experiencing the world. Because I think that expands our identity as well. You realize there's many different ways of living and we can empower us to create and innovate in our own lives when we come back home. So I'm a big advocate of uh, travel if you're a therapist and psychologist. And lastly, Dr. Nita, how do we reach you? You can reach me by emailing me at drnita at psychologyacrossborders.com. You can also find me on Instagram at the global psychologist. My website is drnita.com. Just to make it simple, you can find me there. The other thing that I just want to invite listeners who are interested in international psychology is to reach out to me about joining a community that I'm developing to basically promote these concepts that I'm talking about, international collaboration, and at a grassroots level. My take home from my trials and tribulations of really working globally is that human-to-human -human connection has been the most helpful thing in our field. So whether it's a student looking for a thesis advisor that is actually has expertise in the topic area opposed to just what's available out in a small faculty, it could be clinical consultation, it could be a psychology association trying to get up and running. And these human to human connections and networks are the biggest factor in moving things along rather than my opinion, relying on some of these old institutions to move along and update and modernize. But there's not a mechanism or easy platform to make these connections now. And so my intention is to work towards building and supporting this international community of mental health professionals who are interested in this work and supporting each other and people who will may not be able to leave their jobs and run off to another country for a few years to spend some time there can still be involved in the global development of our field. So mm -hmm. if any, if that sounds interesting to anybody out there, please reach out to me. I would love to get to know you and I would love for you to be a part of the community. Well, Dr. Nita, thank you so much for your time and the work that you're doing. Thank you. It was my pleasure. 
a huge thank you to our listeners. If you like what you've heard, please share and subscribe to our podcast, People of Color in Psychology. 